On today's episode, Alan and I will be discussing some location changes for the 2024 UKC Tournament of Champions regions before talking about our personal path from getting started with Hounds to taking a job at UKC. We hope you enjoy this one. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, curfeist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. This is Trevor Wade. I'm the Coonhound Program Manager here at UKC, and I'm joined by the Director of Hunting Ops, Alan Gingrich. What's going on, Alan? Well, just got back in from lunch, and it is pouring down out there today. Yeah. We've got so much rain here lately. Yeah. I just, I think I mowed the yard Monday. And yeah. It's already, it's going to need mowed as soon as it dries up. Yep. I'm going to probably be mowing tomorrow sometime before I leave. Yeah, you got a late flight going down yeah. to Mississippi to talk Beagle Gun Dog. Yep, the red eye I'm taking. I thought it was 7 o'clock in the morning. Looks like it's 7 o'clock in the evening when I leave. <laughs> fun stuff. Huh? Yeah, it'll make for a tight day, but it's, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Looking hey, forward to it. We got a, a different podcast today. You know, we've, been, we've both been just so busy. Uh, it's that time of year, and, and we know that. And Autumn Oaks is just two weeks. Uh, two weeks from today, we'll be down there already. Yeah, uh, setting up already as we're recording this. Yep. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah, you're right. And um, uh, so today, you know, we don't have a ton of uh, topics put together, so we're going to talk about ourselves a little bit today. So that's a little bit different. That's a first. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, first, we're going to start out with uh, some some breaking news. Um, you know, there's a lot of coonhound clubs out there in the country. Uh, w- whenever you're talking about uh, clubs that can put on 150 dog events that list gets exponentially smaller yeah and uh and we're talking about tournament champion regions here and uh the club down in in comer georgia uh, tri-county club that's been hosting that toc region event ever since the inception of toc a few years ago uh, they decided to step away uh obviously taxing on a club to do that year after year after year so but we are for sure appreciate that club and absolutely philip foster uh kevin rowe and and you the know whole club down there absolutely you know and ever since uh, they've had it three years now i guess and just no problems at all nope. i don't know if he's even had a question down there yeah. other than a question about where the lights got shut off or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> why the lights get shut off right <laughs> yeah but the <laughs> But uh, hey, so but that caused you know any time that you're changing stuff up, you know it has uh, effects on other things and uh, and uh, with the Georgia one moving out of the way, we we had a huge gap there in the south central part of the of of our hunting area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of left us with the decision to make on the Kentucky region as well. Um, and I re- reached out to Jeff Wilson, who we've dealt with a lot with the Lancaster Kentucky uh, region there, Dix Rivers, the host club. And uh, they're also just kind of wore out the club. After a few years, just things happen and pop up. And we've we've decided that uh, the Comer, Georgia, and the Lancaster, re- uh, Kentucky regions are uh, going to be no more. We're moving both of those regions. Um, but we were able to, uh, well, I want to pre- say appreciate Lancaster, too, for stepping up. They were a late addition in the first year. Remember, mm-hmm. we had way more dogs uh, qualified than we thought. And, because uh, we just started with the four that's regions right. to begin with. I almost forget about that now, but yeah. Uh, we added uh, Lancaster right there before really entries yeah. opened, yeah. and uh, and and they really saved our hind end on that. Yeah. They've they've hunted a lot of dogs there and had some good scores over the past few years, so appreciate Lancaster there in Kentucky for They for really helped us out with, with all that. Yep, yeah. sure did. But with that being said, we had two uh, two voids to fill there, and we felt like uh, obviously in the south and the southeast was our biggest holes there, and uh, so we went to the drawing board. Uh, one of them, one club that's uh, been really interested in in the tournament champions event, and uh, and po- wanted the possibility of hosting a region if it ever became available is the Ten Mile Hound Association in Ten Mile, Tennessee. Obviously, the president there is uh, Alan Roberts. He's one of our field reps, mm-hmm. um, and. They're a really good club. Obviously, I'm very familiar with the 10-Mile Hound Association. They've put on a lot of major events. And honestly, if you look at a map, it makes sense to put one there. Yeah, it does. You and I were looking at that map. And we do that a lot with the World Zones and other, you know, just look at, you know, what would look good geographically. You know, there's a lot of other things that come into play as well. But that is that is one thing we look at. And, and this 
we moved to, you know, kind of moved our dots around and, and flagged that and then kind of looking where else to go, uh, which you're going to get into in a minute. But that's pretty cool to look at that. And I, I really like the way it turned out geographically. Right. So then we have them there that kind of, uh, we feel like that takes care of most of Tennessee. You know, Eastern Kentucky is probably going to go there. Western to Central Kentucky may head up to Ohio or, or Indiana, yep. which won't be too far of a drive. We checked all yep. those driving distances. See, uh, Kentucky, had they had a big number there. That's you right. Know, so that was a little bit of a concern, something we talked about. And we actually reached out to the LaGrange Club just to see, make sure, you know, hey, if we do this, you may, may get a few entries. And they said, bring it on. Right. They were prepared. They yeah. had too many entries last yep. year. So. They and had a lot of guys they didn't need. That's right. Guides. Yep. Yeah. And, and so where I feel like our biggest hole was, and I think we both looking at the map, but like the east east coast uh, over there was probably our biggest weakness, South Carolina, North Carolina, yep. maybe Virginia, that area. And, uh, you know, one thing that we, you know, we pay attention to clubs. You know, we look at numbers. Uh, we are on so, both on social media. We see what clubs are putting in a lot of effort and doing things to drive entries and try new inventive things. And one of them that stands out, and I think we've talked about on this club before, is the Palmetto Coon Hunters Association in Manning, South Carolina. Yep. And, uh, and we, uh, I think actually you have fielded a call, uh, or you made a call to someone in South Carolina who, who we both trust and, and, and respected their opinion to get their opinion on it. And he had nothing but great things to say about, uh, about that club. Just basically said that's, that's, if you're talking about South Carolina, that club probably has the best hunting in the state and they can hunt a lot of dogs. They host some major or the hall of fame hunt in South Carolina every year. They put a lot of dogs in the woods that weekend. And uh, so we offered, we talked, called uh, Nelson Gibbons with the club, and uh, he's our correspondent officer for the club, and he was ecstatic. And, and he, he was, yeah. and they're very, just very active. And there's a good example of a club that is putting a lot of effort into their events, and they're getting paid for it. Absolutely. We can use them as a role model, and we have, you know, I think that's what you were referring to when we made mention of them here on a podcast a couple of weeks ago or yeah. a month ago or whenever it was. But yeah. So, and it's turned out good. Yep. And then put put that flag there yet and look at everything geographically across the country for the regions for the TOC. Looks good. Absolutely. Looks good. If you're in the I'm south. I'm tickled. If you're in the south or the north, the way that they're out there, you have a pretty yep. reasonable driving distance to yep. wherever you're going. And that's what we're shooting for. Yep. Obviously, got to be good clubs, but we want everybody yep. to have a reasonable driving distance. And I think we accomplished that. Yep. Uh, so there you go. Manning, South Carolina and 10 Mile, Tennessee, are our new uh, TOC regions. Yep. Uh, they're going to join our other four holdovers that are still uh, good to go. Talked to all of them in the past couple of weeks. Uh, Kirksville, Missouri, LaGrange, Indiana, Mount Gilead, Ohio and Conway, Arkansas are still all good. So add 10 Mile, Tennessee and uh, Manning, South Carolina to that list. Yep, exciting. I like it. Our partners at Dogtra have just launched an exclusive program available only to active UKC competitors. So if you've competed any time this year or plan to compete in any future UKC events, you can qualify to receive exclusive benefits through Dogtra. Take advantage of this exclusive program and become a Dogtra competition field staff today. To sign up, visit dogtra.com forward slash Dogtra competition field staff. That's dogtra.com forward slash Dogtra competition field staff. For everyone attending Autumn Oaks, Dogtra has some exciting activities happening at the Dogtra booth. They are offering free on-site repairs for all Pathfinder users on a first-come, first-served basis. Dogtra is also doing a big sweepstakes at Autumn Oaks. They are giving away a complete Pathfinder 2 tracking and training system. Visit the Dogtra booth in the Hunt building to enter to win. All right, well, with that being said, you know, we've done a bunch of these podcasts now over a year we've been doing this stuff and uh i don't know a lot of the people out there we meet a lot of people every year and, and talk to them but a, a lot of them probably don't know where we come from our history and hounds and uh like i said with everything going on this might be a cool opportunity for people to get to know us a little bit better yeah. well i think it, it kind of goes against what we talked about earlier <laughs> you know what i'm gonna say you know i said hey let's be careful not talk about ourselves too much you know but i think uh the intent here i think what we have is is good just to give people maybe that who don't know. There's a lot of people who know kind of our history and this and that, but there's probably a lot more that don't. And just give them a little bit of our own personal history, I guess. So I, I like the idea. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be fun. So let's start from the beginning here. 
Uh, you, you I tell can it? tell you what it's going to do. It's going to be talking about some of this old stuff or whatever from back in the day. It's going to give me the urge again to be out there competing. And it just, <laughs> it's just, it, you know, kind of, you know, yeah. how much I really miss it. Cause I do miss it. Yeah. I've kind of been fighting. I actually made a, a post on social media platform the other day. Uh, you know, we're leading into autumn oaks and everything is thinking about that. And I'm out there hunting and I miss, you know, the competition was great. I miss getting dogs ready for the competition and, and trying to set dogs up and put them in different situations. And I yeah. just miss that aspect yep. of it for some yep. reason. I don't know. Yep. But, uh, Hey, let's start out from the beginning. You want to tell, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in hounds or, or what kind of piqued your interest in hounds? Well, I don't know. I think, uh, I think I would start out by uh, talking about my, my first influences was my grandfather. His name was, was Bill and he had horses and, and hounds, beagles and coon hounds, both. And, and that's what I have today, really. Yeah. Still, so I would say he was my my first influence when it came to hounds. And I can remember early on going there to the farm with mom and stuff. And um, uh, he had a he had the horses. And in the winter time, uh, probably only horse people might know this. And it's not. I don't think it's anything they do anymore. But he in the winter time he kept pregnant mares in the, his, one of his barns. He had a big. He had a couple of barns, but one of them was set up for pregnant mares and they collected urine and it was something that they sold. So out behind the, this, this barn was their exercise lot. And that's where he had two dogs, two coonhounds tied up, oh, yeah. a walker and a black and tan. But I remember I really gravitated towards this walker dog. His name was Ace. And I remember going out there just as a little kid and to the best that I can, uh, uh, figure out and, and that's actually my mom that used to tell me that when I brought it up how old I would have been would have been around four years old so that was kind of my first uh introduction to coon hounds you know and I remember yeah. Ace I remember walking out there and just the way that little lot smelled I guess you know <laughs> it, you know a lot of people would think well that's just kind of whatever you know but uh that was my uh that was my first introduction to it so and that and then the other thing that i remember about it was the first part of hunting was uh when i was over there and one day i saw where they got all their hunting gear together they had these long uh silver flashlights you know all the old uh, d cell flashlights that yeah. with the with the leather strap on it had that stuff laid out and a bunch of other things and i was really intrigued by this turns out it was the first night of season Oh, okay. And they were getting ready. We stayed there. They went. They took off. My my grandfather and and a couple of his boys. They took off on the uh, went out back, and I could hear the hound running back there that that after or that evening, you know, early evening, and that just that that intrigued me. Yeah, I couldn't go. They didn't. Mom wouldn't let me go, but I still remember that, and that was the first for me. Yeah, I guess for me, my biggest, uh, you know, I've all, I'd always had a thing for dogs when I was younger, um, and and just always really enjoyed them. But by the time I came along, my dad had coon hunted before I was born. But by the time I got there and my brother got there, didn't have hounds anymore. Mm -hmm. He always had uh he has a big photo album still to this day down in his, uh, where he sits out to watch TV, I guess call it the den or whatever. And, uh, you go through there and there's a lot of, uh, hunting and fishing pictures. But then at the end there, there's some pictures of his old plot hounds that, uh, a lot of our family down there, uh, a lot of his side of the family, has hounds and they they coon and, and big game hunt with them uh, mostly plot dogs oh, for yeah. the most part uh the moses is in the hicks down there probably a lot of people will know him that's listening to this yeah and uh but we never had hounds you know we would go a few times a year with like bill hicks or gene hicks yeah. or some of those guys and uh it was a blast yeah i was kind of obsessed with it but i didn't get my first hound until i was probably nine or ten years old yeah and it was a beagle actually that was my first hound ever was actually my first two or three hounds were beagles and we would go we would go rabbit hunting more than we went coon hunting. Oh yeah, and uh, I don't know. My dad, he he never has got back into the hounds. Really, he'll go with me sometimes, but uh -huh. uh, he's just a he likes deer hunting. He likes turkey hunting. He likes going fishing. We always yeah. do, we did that stuff since I was old enough to walk. Yeah. I've been doing that stuff with him. But the hounds came a little bit later right. after that. Do you remember going on your first coon hunt? My very first coon hunt. I'm trying to think back. I would have been. Oh, younger. I don't remember my exact first one. See, I don't either. I know uh, I went with my grandfather and my uncles a couple of times. And most yeah. of what they hunted was there on their own farm that they had. And then the neighbor's farms back there, everybody just hunted in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and actually back then, believe it or not, you know, the, the hides were worth a lot back in those days. I didn't know that at the time, but they really were. Yeah. That's how a lot of, uh, a lot of hunters made their extra income, you know, sure. for Christmas and things like that, you know, but 
So I don't remember that my first time either, other than going. I just remember that first night when they brought all that hunting gear out that I was talking about. But I'm kind of like you. My first dog was my brother and I got a uh, uh, went to, found an ad in the in the local classified paper. Yeah. In the classifieds for uh, puppies, and these happened to be red bone puppies, red and as thirty five bucks. Yeah. And uh, we had uh, we had. We had been looking, you know, and we, uh, 35 bucks for this thing. <laughs> it's hard to remember, 35 bucks, you know. <laughs> but we mowed yards, neighbors' yards and things like that to collect this uh, uh, money for this $5 a whack, you know, is basically what it was. And my brother and I, actually, luckily for me, you know, we could kind of go in and split, you know, our money that we had. And yeah. when uh, we went and picked her up, her name is Jody. So, and boy, did we put her through the training <laughs> training stuff that summer all summer long and and never showed her a live raccoon is that right but we laid a lot of tracks grandpa you know leaned on him for you know how to train this puppy and everything and he uh you know we got scents and a leather a leather drag and all this and just did, we had a farm i grew up on a farm too so we did it all across the across the road from the house there one of the farm fields and Boy, she she treed on a lot of drags. I can't <laughs> believe we didn't just ruin that dog. Well, that's funny you say that. Um, the first, uh, well, I guess going going back to my side of it, we we lived in the city uh, primarily uh, there mm -hmm. in town, and uh, but we had a lot of family that had uh, land out. We call it the out at the farm. We'd say it took about fifteen minutes to get there, and we there was a few a few thousand acres out there that we could tromp along and. Uh, yeah. You know, so I never had hounds until after after uh, I got out of high school, actually. And when I got in college, I actually got my first hound. And it happened, I was at church. And uh, my dad calls, he's turkey hunting. And he's got this this English red tick is, is treed there. He's been hearing it all morning. Yeah. He goes to inspect it. And there's just, it's worn out around it. And this dog's skin and bones has no collar on or anything. And, we, you know, we looked around for an owner. but And that was actually the first, I, I kept the dog and I hunted it. And it was a nice coon dog. It was the first dog I ever had. Yeah. Uh, a couple months, I had actually gotten a pup from Bill. It was a plot hound. So that was my first pup I got uh, shortly after that to hunt with it and kind of teach it the ropes. And, uh, uh, the, we actually found, I was hunting one night with a buddy and he had, he heard the dog tree and said, I've hunted with this dog before. And we were actually able to find the owner of the English dog at that point. Uh, so then I just had the pup and you were talking about how you didn't show yours a live coon. I did. I showed this plot pup. I don't know, way too many. I ruined <laughs> yeah. this. It, it, it would tree a coon, but it would always backtrack. And I feel like it was probably always looking and trying to, oh, yeah. to verify by yeah. sight that there yeah. was a coon there. And was that, was that a recommendation by your grandfather? Or was it just dumb no, luck? Not or what do you think? Not necessarily. I don't know if he just never trained like that or how he, I don't know how he trained. That's just yeah. the way he told us what, you know, what we should do. Matter of fact, I think he got us the scent. Okay. Uh, I think he got it from the Bill Boatman catalog or whatever. Yeah. You know, he sent us this bottle of scent, and we 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 wore her out. But we never showed her a live yeah. raccoon, never did see one. You know, and going back a little bit more on that, I remember the first night of season, Grandpa came over. And we didn't know he was coming over, but him and Grandma both came over, and that tickled us, my brother Paul and I. And, uh, you know, that Grandpa was here because it was the first time he was actually going to see her in action. Now this was going to be the real deal, you know. It was, uh, and we cut her loose, same places that we always did all these drags. You know, we'd, we'd drag these, uh, lay these drags out through the cornfield that summer and everything, probably, you know, several hundred, two, three hundred yards. Put her to the test. Yeah, put her to the test. Started, you know, with yeah. with uh, fence posts and then, then gravity. I remember Grandpa said, hey, you got to start, uh, you know, setting up trees, you know, when you, instead of the fence posts or whatever. So, and we did that. But this on this night, there wasn't going to be any scent, and I was a little worried. You know, glad Grandpa was there, but you know, you're, you know yeah. how uh, how you're kind of you know hope your dog's going to. You want it to perform yeah, in front of others. Yeah, yeah sure. this is our hero here. You know, yeah. and by golly, she, it didn't take her long. She struck in, and she was a little deeper than she normally was when you know where she found this track. And we had about halfway back this cornfield. It was probably a 10, 12 acre cornfield, but it had a little ditch winding through it, and she struck right off the edge of that ditch. I remember she drove it back to the back end of the, towards the e or towards the west there. And just before you get to the woods, maybe 50, 60 yards short of the woods, the big woods back there, there's a one apple tree and that's where she hooked it up. No kidding. I remember when she, I can still remember it like it was last night. You were floating <laughs> yeah. to the tree, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. I remember when she located and everything starts tree and grandpa yeah. looked over and he said, 
these trees, boys. <laughs> that was probably a pretty cool uh, moment. It was. And then the, go in there and see the king of that. Was, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That was awesome. Stick with you forever. Yeah. 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 Was there any, any time, was there ever any times in, in your, when you were first where you got discouraged at all or were you pretty much been, have you been with the hounds ever since then? Or was there it, ever a time when you might have stepped away or got discouraged with what you had? We were, you know, and I think for us, we grew up on a farm, so we had always had a lot of work to do. And it seemed like any time we even had, you know, an hour of time, we would grab if uh, we would, you know, work on Jody or we had, and we had a couple of beagles too later on in life. Yeah. We were like, I, I want to say I was like 12. We were like 11 and 12 when this was all going down. Uh, but we would grab a dog and go to the back corner and turn the dog loose you know we had a couple hair up there too and stuff you know but any any little time we got to you know we we would uh that's one thing we enjoyed to do yeah but hey going back one other part i wanted to that was kind of cool in later years fast forward you know 20 30 years i guess here um uh, my brother and i would hunt a lot together too <clears throat> excuse me uh but going back to that my grandpa always lived on the same farm but he ended up with cancer got sick and everything but uh and he couldn't go hunting or anything like that anymore by the time we were down here and and, uh, and hunting our own dogs. But we would go to his farm, and he'd want us to let him know, and he would sit out on the porch, and uh, he would listen to our dogs. Yeah. And it was kind of a full circle thing for us, you know, when, or for me anyways. You know, I remember that's where I was at basically when I heard his dogs, you know, the first time. And but that was always cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, and he loved it. You could tell. And that's, that's just, you know, he was a, he never, obviously never competition hunted or anything like that, but he was, he loved to hear hounds run yeah. and you could tell he enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. 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 I don't know. For me, it was after that original, uh, English dog that we had that was kind of started, you know, we, we didn't have, it, I didn't have the dog long enough for it to teach me the ins and outs of coon hunting. And, and like I said, at that point. My dad was out of it, you know. He would, he was, a, he's a real good woodsman. You can take yeah. him, and, and he has a, a lot of sense on that stuff. But as far as hounds go, he didn't give me a lot of advice or anything. And uh, me and and the kid I was hunting with, Alex Thomason's his name. He, he lived lived not too far away. We hunted a lot, and we both uh, we went through dogs. I mean, we uh, we got stuck trading and and to go. And yeah. now when I talk to people, that's why I tell them like, try your dogs out before yeah. you. If somebody's giving you a dog, there's probably a reason they're giving it for you. Uh, to you uh, don't start out with pups because yeah. i made these mistakes i made a lot of these mistakes and for a few years man i can't i bet we could count on two hands how many coons we may have treed over over months just yeah. months and months it was tough yeah. and I, I would say i almost got out of it a few times yeah. just very discouraged discouraged yeah yeah absolutely yeah there was Do one you... time i was actually on the forums and uh there's a guy in london kentucky i believe his name was michael i wish i could still find that message where where he had a post he was selling out and he was uh and uh, I actually went up there, and he had two. He had two uh, English hounds, uh, two female Englishes, and they're both named Pepper. It just ironically, but uh, uh, ended up take, I got both of them. I think I got a pretty good deal on both of them. I was actually came back, and I only wanted the older one. Um, the younger one was just over a year old, just started, and I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. I already had a started dogs. So yeah, I actually sold her and recouped quite a bit of the money, and uh, and that dog. If it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be sitting here or being coon hunting anymore. You know, she. Uh, from the beginning, she taught me so much about it and a lot of the knowledge that I have today about maybe how to hunt dogs or, or yeah. where to hunt or where to drop or where coons may be came from hunting with her, actually, from a dog rather than a person, which yeah. is strange to say, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So when did you first get involved in actual like uh, hunting at the club and yeah. going to hunts? It would have been after we got her. Like I said, uh, uh, me and Alex, were, we, we split her and we were both hunting quite a bit and we, man, we hunted a ton. And, and did you, did you get her with that in, with the intent of competing with her? Or? That was always, uh, my goal. You know, I, um, we, we, in Southeast Tennessee, we weren't stacking furs or anything. We didn't right. kill very many coons at all. Um, but so you knew I always about, wanted you, to become, a, I always wanted to get into the competition. Hunts. You, that was so my you goal. knew about competition. Right. Hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so it wasn't long after we got her, you know, we hunted her some and, and then we eventually, it wasn't very long at all. We started going to our first competitions, first competition hunt. We went, uh, actually drew, uh, Gene Hicks, who I talked about. Yeah. That's my, that's, yeah. uh, uh, some of our family. Uh, and he was hunting six time Albert. I'll never forget it. It was the, it was the win that made, uh, 
That's a six-time that's a name a, that was, a grand night champion. Yeah, you've heard a lot of. Yeah, six-time Albert. It was or two-time Albert. Six-time Albert. So, yeah, this one's way down the road from okay. two times. So, okay. Yeah, two-time was back in the mid nineties. Yeah, that so was before your time. I was still pretty <laughs> yeah. young then, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, this uh, this win made a six-time Albert a grand night champion. I'll I'll not forget it. But I learned a lot in that. Man, I really enjoyed that hunt and. Uh, yeah, that was the first competition hunt, and and Pepper, she uh, she won us a few casts. She was she was five or six years old. She was really accurate dog. She didn't make a lot of mistakes, but she was slower, and uh, and she that cost her a lot of casts. Yeah. But when she treats, she she treat coons, and we yeah. won a few casts with her that way. Do you remember the first one you ever won with her? Uh, I believe it was at a club in uh, Teleco, uh, Tennessee. We won a cast with her, and I think it was just. I think a coon or two staying out of yeah. trouble and, and that's what it took. And it wasn't a great feeling. Yeah. What about you? How did you get into the competition you, stuff? Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of people say that they remember their very first trophy they got. And for some reason as ate up as I was with it. I really don't. I remember the first club I went to and the, and the first couple of events I handled a dog in, Yeah, but I really don't remember the first time I actually want to cast. And I'm not sure why that is, but I just don't. But yeah, so my first, uh, my first hunts were, I don't remember, it had to be either 89 or 90 was my first one. I actually hunted, uh, it wasn't even my own dog, you know, so by this time, you know, Jody was done dead and gone. I think we might've raised a litter of pups, but we, you know, Hey, but this is after school now for me, I'm like in my early twenties or almost 20, I guess, or what, whatever, late teens, I guess. Uh, but anyways. Uh, first one is 89 or 90. It was at the old Albion Indiana Club, I remember. And I remember that's where I uh, saw Mackie Manns. Oh. And I don't know what it was about Mackie. He's a little a blue tick guy, you know, and he was kind of, you know, kind of a big name in the area. And I think I've probably seen some of his ads in the magazines, you know. Okay, so, so you got the magazine before. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, same yeah, for me. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I uh, recognized Mackie, and I'm like, wow there's Mackie Mans, you know, I, for some reason, I just, I just, I just remember that. Uh, another one, that's where I met Steve Burkholder. Oh, you yeah. know, Steve too. Oh, oh yeah. And he was, he was running around like, like a little rooster that he was back then. <laughs> you couldn't get away from the blue tick guys. Up there, no, could you? no, no. But, uh, so I remember I hunted a dog named, uh, Levi, you know, a blue tick. And I, I didn't, I know I didn't win my cast and he was all right, you know, but Hey, I was green, green. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, but I remember that was my first hunt with, with old Levi. And then my, one of my next hunts, I may have hunted him a time or two after that. But another one I remember is I had a, a buddy named Frank Robbins that we hunted pleasure hunted with some and a good guy. And he had a, he had a dog, he was kind of getting into it. We used to play some music back then, you know, and he'd play with us sometime and, he kind of had that he liked to kind of hunt with us too or whatever, but he's so much that he ended up getting a, his own coon on. And it was a, a dog named Buster Miller's heavy metal Buster. Was there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and a great coon though. But one thing I remember about him, he would freaking bark all night long. Couldn't get this dog to shut up, you mm. know, but he was a barker at night for some reason. Yeah, be good these days. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, the first, I remember the first night I uh, hunted him was at the uh, Wyatt uh, Club there in South Bend, Indiana. You know where the Wyatt Constellation, right. yeah, yeah, right there. And I always liked that club too. Just seemed like I had a lot of luck there. But anyway, so my first hunt with him, uh, some of our listeners will, uh, some of the older ones will remember a guy named Charlie Hyde. Charlie Hyde had, he was from that area, had a lot of good dogs back in the day, but Charlie was Charlie. He was a, he was very... He was a vocal guy, you know, and uh, I remember I rode with him and he looked, uh, I remember when I, when I brought this dog up to put in the dog box, I guess he had his tail up and stuff. And he looked at me and he's like, man, is your dog mean? <laughs> I'd never seen him fight or anything, but uh, long story. And I say that, but uh, our, my dog and Charlie's dog ended up in a dog fight. We both got scratched that night. <laughs> happens oh yeah it was uh he he kind of let me have blamed my dog for it and everything so it was that was my ex my first experience with old charlie hyde yeah but uh you know charlie had you know charlie had some of the old uh like uh hyde's boon and some of those old dogs back in the day and uh that was off a tom yakin river tom tom okay. so you kind of know that strain and then his boy jay he had some of the uh um uh, uh hardwood maniac dogs so that's where you still see some of those today or whatever. Yeah. That's where they came kind of from that area. So, yeah. But that was some of my first hunts that I remember. Yeah. I guess we didn't get, I didn't get too hot and heavy into the hunts until 
had, uh, after we had Pepper and, you know, we were starting to treat coons, then I wanted to get a younger dog. And at that time, I got a, a pup out of Ugly Stick, Black and Tan. I always liked the Black and Tans for some reason. They just, just what I liked as yeah. my preference. And uh, I went over to West Tennessee, Robert Church's place, and got it. And uh, on the way back, it was a bad storm. I'll never forget that. And I actually had to pull over and get a hotel that night and was able to to talk the front desk down a little bit and got a cheap hotel to ride out the storm. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to have the pup. I didn't tell them I had a puppy with me, but uh, then we got back. But we ended up, uh, that dog was the first dog that I ever personally made night champion. Um, and we, we did do it with him, called him Bo. And uh, he was good young. You know, he a lot of those dogs now start start young, and I think we kind of blew him up, maybe pushing him too hard uh, and, and learn from that. Uh you just learn as you go. You learn yeah. a lot of stuff like yeah. that, I think. And uh, but uh, you see, know, that's what we talk yeah. about all the time. There's no, there's no experience. Right. You got to learn a lot of these things. You start somewhere and, and shoot. We yeah. all do. That's right. Yeah. You can't look down on anybody because right. everybody had to go through right. tribulations yep. and, and situations to get there. But uh, I put down some mentors on here, and I think you'll probably talk about some of yours that you had in competition hunting. Yeah, One but, of them is actually Wyatt Barnett. You, we both know Wyatt. Yep. He's actually a he, couple years younger than me. Yeah. But he, he got into competition hunting just as he, as a young kid. If you look through some of our magazine, he's nine, 10 years old, hunting his own dogs. Yeah. I know right there at his house, you can, you could hunt behind Wyatt's house for miles and miles and he could just cut loose back there. And I he, first he met him, winner. I yeah. first met him down there at the youth nationals when yeah. we had it there at 10 mile. Yeah. He won it actually. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. He, good you, kid. You go into his, like his bathroom right there by his kennels. He used to have that trophy yeah. and that magazine cover there and. He, he he taught me a lot about competition hunting. You know, there's there's more to it than just, you know, yeah. having a decent dog. You got to put your dog in different situations and yeah. hunting against different dogs and yeah. and know everything your dog's doing. Another one is uh, Alan Roberts. You know, yep. I went and got my first uh, coon light from him back when he owned Dakota Lights. Now he now owns Outlaw Lights, which I think they're, uh, they they work together pretty closely still to this day, him and the Franklins. But uh, uh, without knowing it, you know, his club, 10 Mile Club, him and Roger Bell's down there at 10 Mile they had their their club was just the one to go to in that area. And I know you probably had one too. When you went there, they're just bigger crowds. You know, you're probably going to be in good hunting and everything just went smooth. And it was always a blast to yeah. go there. And he always had a, a big effect on me on how he put hunts on. And, uh, those are some of my biggest mentors coming in probably yeah. to competition coon hunting yep. anyways. And good mentors. You're talking about one that's got a lot of experience and a sure. younger guy, good young guy. Absolutely. And, and you need those. Absolutely. Yep. You do. Everybody does. Yep. Yep. Yeah, what it did it was a couple of people shape you the way you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my brother Paul and I, we used to do everything together. We were, you know, from young kids and everything back home on the farm. We hunted together. You know, when we had a break, we would both be doing the same thing, and that was hunting or what, what have you. Uh, and that just kind of that just kind of played through most of our lives. You know, yeah. uh, and same we would join the Whitley County Coon Hunters there in Columbia City, Indiana, at the same time. He had hunted with somebody in the area there that was a club member, Larry Smith or somebody that kind of invited him to come to the club. And, yeah. and so he and I both went down there and that was a little intimidating, to be honest. You know, we, we, uh, we were excited about it, you know, but it was something new and, and had never really, you know, I had been to a couple of clubs, you know, hunting now, but as far as, you know, becoming a member and all this and that, you know, but, uh. And didn't really realize it to begin with, but the, you know, the Columbia City Club, and I'm sure there's a lot of clubs like that, have a, have a deep history, and, and that one is pretty old, you know. So there were guys that would hunt there, and some of the members, you know, were, were like the Bellers, you know, Russell Beller, and I don't know how many world champions he has, you <laughs> a know. Lot. Yeah. A lot. You know, uh, Brian Whitted was, and he was one of the younger guys then. Yeah. Uh, Dick Brothers would hunt there a lot of times. You know, he had a world champion, Charlie Creek Terra. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Miller had the Beaver Lake Magic Dog and Brian Ruckman. Now, Brian Ruckman didn't come to the club as much, you know, but Charlie would come out there. Beaver Lake Magic, my brother and I used to play uh, golf all the time, and that's the only coonhound I know that has his uh, golf course named after it. <laughs> right. Magic Hills there yep. in Columbia City was named after Beaver Lake Magic, which was a, a part of Charlie Miller's farm at one time. Uh, but then, you know, Mackie Manns would always be around with his blue ticks. I mentioned Burke Holder and Hunting Droop Jr., and uh, Doug Cheek was another one I remember from the club. Uh, I mentioned these because they had a lot of, lot of, lot of people, you know, that that helped us, and and not, a, you know, a lot of these more more than others. But Doug Cheek had the stylish hack dog. He won the ACHA World Hunt, and um, uh, Terry Coulter had Bellers Ann, who won the PKC National Championship, um, and then also a, another uh, ACHA champion that he had was Miller's Roxanne, won the AC, ACHA World Championship. 
And I remember a little story about Terry. Terry's Terry's about my age. And we hunted a lot together, but I remember when he went to pick up Roxy. And Roxy was well known in our area of just a solid dog, and she could put a whipping on about any dog, you know, on on a, on a lot of nights. But Ron Wigman was an auctioneer in, in Fort Wayne who bought this dog. Terry and I went over to Ron's office, and he gave us a grocery sack full of money, full of cash to go buy this dog. <laughs> and the, I remember on the way over to Shipshawana, Dean Miller had this dog, and uh, he, Terry said, "Hey, can you count that money? Can you count that money? Make sure we have enough here, because <laughs> Terry was going to be the handler on this dog, yeah. you know." And I did, and I was like, "Holy cow, Terry! I, this was crazy, you know." So this was mid '90s or whenever it was, you know. <laughs> and I've never seen that much cash in in my life, <laughs> you know. I, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say how much it was, right. but it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, but anyways, we went over there and picked up that dog. But other guys, there was, there was like Mike Puckett was in the club. He was a, hunted a, a pretty good blue dog named Shaker, I remember, as a really good dog. Uh, Steve Dunn hunted some stock off of Nocturnal Nailer. Uh, Katie was one of the good dogs there. Uh, uh, but then uh, another, another name that was kind of synonymous to that club that I was really intrigued by was Laverne Miller. So the, if you remember, if you know now the Treen Walker Association Absolutely. does that Laverne Miller Sportsmanship mm -hmm. Award, that was Laverne's old club right there. So, uh, and I remember uh, 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 one of the, his sons uh, later in, in life brought, came over to the club, brought a whole bunch of his old trophies. And one of them was from the 1965 Grand American wow. that old Miller's Rock had won. But I built. I worked in the RV industry, and I worked in the cabinet shop. So I built us a uh, a trophy case, and we put a lot of that Laverne Miller stuff in that trophy case, and that's still there at the club. But that was just a great club, and ended up it was a little intimidating. But those guys took us under their wings, and a couple of them I'll get to in a little bit, and he's kind of leading up to that here. But uh, that was a fun club. I loved to be a part of it. We we both did, and. And uh, it was just a great experience. But it was Mike Colder who was in that club, Sonny, or uh, Terry's uncle. He, uh, he was uh, a little bit older guy, but he really took us under his wing. And we'd pleasure hunt together a whole lot. And, uh, and uh, he taught us a lot of the rules. Yeah, and it wasn't just Mike that taught us, you know, or, or helped us with rules. Back then, they did. We actually had rules meetings, you know, meetings where they talked, discussed rules and things like that. Things were a little different back then, you know. We had a, a one of the events they had was the Hoosier State Championship, right? And they would always, before that came up in March every year, just kind of have a rule breakdown and kind of make sure all their judges were, you know, on top of things. And and I always liked that and yeah. learned a lot. But Mike was the one that really took us out and helped us put these rules into play. We hunted together a lot. And, um, uh, you know, one thing that was a little bit intimidating, all these guys that I mentioned were, most of them were Walker dog guys and that dominated the club and the area. And here, my brother and I come in with our little red dogs, you know, <laughs> yeah. but honestly, at the time we had some decent ones and still looking back, they were, they were pretty decent, but, uh, uh, Mike was a huge, huge IU and even more a Bobby Knight fan. He was one of those diehard throw stuff at the screen fans. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was my. So he emulated Bob Knight's style. <laughs> he did. Then. He really did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I remember he even named a Walker dog Bobby Knight. Okay. And I remember he hunted with her one night. We went when we went hunting, and uh, we were guiding, and uh, his dog got out of pocket a little bit, and he got hit on the dang road. Oh, I I still remember that. That just that ate at me so hard that night because uh didn't hear him couldn't you know at that time they didn't uh tracking collars were out you know but just the old beep beep ones sure. maybe but uh he wasn't picking anything up really at the time and then uh, we're driving around looking for him and we see him laying on the road and it yeah. was just like oh man yeah yeah i uh well that was hard sure but anyways uh and then uh, later on, Mike had another dog named, he called her Rockin' Robin. She was off of Minkler's Kansas Thunder. Okay. And just a good dog. But he always had some pretty good stock. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, not just not just that, but he also believed in, hey, if you want a competition hunt, make sure you have a decent dog that gives you a chance, sure. you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but so we got to hunt a whole lot with Robin, but, uh, 
But yeah, you know, the other, another thing I really remember about the club is we used to pleasure hunt a lot together, you know, during the week with a couple of the club members. I remember one last night of season in January, it would have been the end of January. It's kind of a weird day. It was kind of warmer. And that night the coon moved like I've never seen before or after. And people probably think I'm crazy to even that I'm way off, but we treed 30 coons that night. Wow. And hunted from, uh, from, you know, dawn till, uh, or from, uh, dark till daylight. You didn't want to stop. I bet. did not want to stop, yeah. you know, and I'm, it was just all night long Yeah. and we had more, we saw, I think we saw a total of like 37 that night. and people think you're crazy to say that, but that's, that's the truth, you know, but yeah. I remember that night it was Mike and I and his, his brother, Sonny, uh, were along and then my brother and I, and then another guy named Larry Smith nice. and they were all club guys, but I'll never forget that hunt. And I've never seen anything even close to it before or since then. Yeah. You know, but that was just a, a good hunt. But uh, we, you know, uh, some other hunts that we went, uh, or rather I went with Mike to is be like the world hunt, the zones, and a couple times to Autumn Oaks and things like that. I remember a couple times went to Palmyra, Missouri with him. And that's where I met the chicken man. Probably not anybody you've known, no, but I... guy named the chicken man drove a green RV bus, kind of a homemade bus or whatever. And uh, that was kind of, you'd have to know the guy. Okay. He, was, he was a little different, but he was, <laughs> they called him the chicken man. Uh, but, uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, I always looked up to Mike and loved being around him and loved hunting with him and, and just thought a lot of him, but, uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, eventually, uh, he, he, he got cancer and, and it got him, you know, but, uh, and I remember the last, uh, the last time hunting with him, uh, he really, really struggled, but, uh, man, it was good to have him out there, but that yeah. was, I remember that last hunt. Yeah. Talked about you've already talked about a few good memories that you yeah, have associated yeah. with hounds. It's a yeah, it, it's lasting uh, memories. It's uh, for some reason you know talking about mentors. He just he was it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Had a lot and, of good people in the club. Sound like yeah, yeah. And there's there was none better than him. And the club still has an annual Mike Colder Memorial oh, uh, nice. event that they have every year. And um, and the we the first year we had it, I designed the picture that went on the plaque for it. So there are two pictures that I took of Mike. One was Mike shining up a tree with his old spotlight, and the second one was him walking Robin in a cornfield, and I got it kind of from this angle. So those two pictures are incorporated on that plaque, and they still have, they still use that same picture and same plaque, and it's so cool to me when I see that. Yeah, I got to get down there yeah. to Columbia City and see, see yeah. some of that stuff. That but I remember when one thing before, a couple of years before he passed, he won the Laverne Miller Award. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that was pretty, that was a, a pretty big, pretty special to him and meant a lot to him. And he, they actually buried him with that. He wanted that with him. And, and then after that, his uh, wife gave me his belt light and his old, he was kind of superstitious about this, uh, lead strap that he would use in competition. Oh, lucky strap. Yeah, okay. lucky strap. I got gotcha. So I still have both of those today. Very cool. Yeah. That so that's very cool. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Several years ago, I was, I did not, I had no idea, but I was really surprised when the Walker Association awarded me with that same award, that Laverne Miller Award, and he's the, he's the first guy I thought of. Yeah. And, yeah, he would have been tickled. So, yeah, I still think of him often. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Good, good mentor. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely some good ones there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just to end our talking on competition, I guess we've talked a lot about a lot of our mentors. We should talk some about our dogs, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I talked about having the bow dog, and we didn't we we didn't travel hardly with them at all. We hit the local clubs there. I think we went to Winter Classic once, and maybe uh, we went to Black and Tan Days a couple of times. Went to Automos a couple of times with him, but uh, it was after him. Uh, I still had him, but I was looking for something that was a little like I said, we burned him out. Uh, at maybe two, two and a half years old. So yeah. he wasn't the same with company uh, as he was before that. Yeah. Um, so I actually got another young black and tan from, from Gene Hicks again. Uh, that was a really nice young prospect and he ended up getting in some poison or something. I don't know. I was at work one day. I got a message that he was real poor. He's like six months old only. And I got home by the time I got home, he had already passed. And that was oh, another yeah. time when I was like, dang, Yeah. it sent me back again. And I was, I was feeling pretty, pretty rough about that. Uh, but I got a lot of support from, you know how it is with coon hunters. Mm -hmm. They're always willing to, mm -hmm. to help you out or, or to, to help you any way they can. And I, I got a, a message from a, a guy named Tim McKee who had bought a dog named Sun Making History, who was kind of popular in our part at the time. And he had a young litter on the ground. 
and I think he had like a, I think the dog was three and a half, four months old. And, uh, it was one of, he kept two males and he was going to get rid of one of them and just focus on one. And I ended up going and getting him. And I don't know, I, I just took him out a couple of times and I think he was five and a half months old the first time I'm just walking him through the woods and I've hunted, I've hunted young dogs before and, you know, just trying to get them acclimated to the woods at yeah. night and what you deal with. And I don't know, this dog wasn't like some of the other ones I had. He wasn't staying around yeah. me, really. He was getting out yeah. of range. And then all of a sudden, I just hear him just let out a dying locate and just fall treat. Yeah. And I get up there, and he's he's on the side of where I used to have a feeder bucket at. I don't, I don't know, hot track. I don't know if he had a coon or not. I couldn't find the coon. But there was definitely some scent there because he, yeah. was, he was absolutely going berserk. And I, I knew I had something then. We called him Pete. And it was then I looped in a guy named Jeremy Vaught who lived about uh, 30 minutes down the road and and jeremy uh wasn't the guy i knew from competition hunts he he hunted dogs for other people sometimes and actually gave him half a pete uh to kind of help me uh, you know if we're going to be i felt like with the job that i had i'm working three on two off three on two off that kind of rotation and if you're doing that it's on those those nights i can't hunt on those other mm -hmm. nights because i'm going to be at work mm -hmm. and i feel like you can't hunt half the time and have a dog that's going to compete yeah. at the highest level that yeah. we wanted to so we, a lot of, he would keep him up there in, in Loudon and then it was 30 minutes from me. And, and whenever he had to go on, he, he worked like a week on week off type shift and I would take him and hunt him and dog turned out really nice. It was real natural from a young age, uh, kind of a straight line ambush type dog. And we, we did good with him. You know, we won some, some cast, at, you know, we won some cast autumn oaks and in different places, uh, some other registries. We won some casts at some of those major events and then. Uh, in 2017, he must have just been, he may just be under a year old or, or sorry, under two years old or just turned two, one of the two. But uh, that's whenever we doubled up at the 10-mile zone, that first place there and made it to the world finals. And that was probably the the height of my competition. That was that was a cool moment. We got to go to Elberton and mm -hmm. stand in the line. You know, yeah. we talk about standing yeah. in that line with the other top world 100. Finals. Yeah. World finals. That's kind of a proud moment to, yeah. see, to be there and be a part of that. And, you know, I... That's something I'll never forget. That was a fun time. I, I we didn't. I, I never was a great handler. I, I never will claim to be a good handler, but uh, that was that was one of my best moments hunting with competition dogs. And the Pete dog, he kind of uh, set the bar for me just as far as a competitive dog that I would have now yeah, goes. Yeah. And the dog I have now is actually out of him. The hang dog oh, yeah. that I hunt now is yeah. out of Pete. So yeah, and actually Pete still they've still. Uh, somebody else has still been running him. I yeah, don't know about right. just lately, lately, but well, he he made the grant. He made the final cast at Autumn Oaks last year. Yeah, he did. He oh, did. He did. Yeah, he did. David yeah. Vanover over in I think he lives in Virginia now, yeah. and Lance Belcher in Tennessee. They yeah. got him, sold him to those guys right before, or uh, a couple yeah. uh, like a month before I took this job, knowing yeah. that I wasn't going to be able to compete with him. And they've done great with him. Yeah. They've done things with him that I would have never done. Hey, so. I remember seeing hearing about that dog's name before I even knew you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. You know, dogs like that don't come around every day, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I know, well, I know of one dog you're going to mention, but I'm sure that there's some others you want to mention. Well, as well, there's a couple, we, we went through a lot of hounds over the years, but I've got a couple that kind of are my standouts, you know, but, uh, you know, one thing that you mentioned that is, uh, that I can relate to is you mentioned, you know, trading off or prepping dogs for events and yeah. this and that having a partner to help you do sure. that. That's big. It that is. helps a lot. And my brother and I used to do that all the time. You know, if I couldn't, we used to, we used to hunt together a lot, but we would solo dogs a lot. You know, one drop, we'd drum, drop one and next drop another one right. or what have you. Did a lot, whole lot of that, you know, but and on, and on days when, uh, you know, maybe I couldn't go, he could, or especially if we were trying to get one ready for the hunts and that's all important, but yeah. So standouts, you know, one of the first ones I hunted, I mentioned a couple of the, some of the ones that I hunted before, but a couple of the standouts, one was. And it was actually kind of early on was a dog, a walker dog named uh, End of the Trail Bandit was his name. Oh, yeah, there he you was go. owned by Carl and Jason Peters, father and son, lived in Kendallville, Indiana. Old Carl's one of those guys, has a big, long a handlebar mustache. He's always had one, but good guy. And, and his boy Jason, he was a little younger than me. And, and I'll just tell the world right now, Jason was scared of the dark <laughs> so that's why he, that's why they put the dog in my hands yeah it's a good reason <laughs> uh I'm probably uh, i'm probably putting it on a little bit thick there but uh jason might not admit it but i think that that's what we used to always say always say but no uh they got this dog he was just young they got him out of kentucky and he had a little bad habit of treating possums and, uh, but this, that was really probably the dog that I really learned a whole lot of the most about, 
I honed my handling skills with that dog. Yeah. And I won a lot of casts with him, made him a grand knight, you know, back under the old old rules and everything. And uh, uh, but I lost a lot of casts that I should also want. Sure. I just uh, gave you know a lot of that was uh, was handling error, you know. But that's how you learn. Oh you yeah. Know? And, and they kept paying the entry fees. The other thing I remember about that dog was he was uh, he got to be my buddy because I kept him down at my house. And I didn't even need to use a dog or a, put a dog box on the truck. He would jump on the back of the bed, and I would drive through downtown Columbia City, going south of town to my hunting spots. Didn't even think twice of it. That's how he. That's just the type of dog he was. And uh, I, I never during the week I never had a dog box on, you know. And <laughs> you know, yeah. you wouldn't do that today, probably not. But uh, I, him and I just got to be good buds, you know. And he would anytime he would see me, you know, if they had him up there or whatever, I'd go over to pick him up. He'd be out on the chain while he, you know. I I, I just always loved that dog. Yeah. We just had that tight connection, sure. you know. Uh, but yeah. Uh, speaking of possums, you know, we, when, when I made him a night champion, there was a couple, I remember one time I went to Dromesville, Ohio, I think, and it was down at the end of the cast in a qualifier and, uh, and he trees a possum. I've got a big lead and I'm all but ready to go to the world hunt with this dog and he trees a possum. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, we got to do something about it. And we, we finally got him broke off of that. But, uh, yeah, it was that grandson of old Hillbilly Mac. Oh, there you go. So, Yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, but I, I just, uh, it, it took him to Walker days a bunch. But the other thing I remember about hunting that dog a lot was, so I worked in the RV industry and I hunted a lot at night, always be tired, but those guys would drive and, uh, Carl and Jason would sit up front and they argued over everything. <laughs> it didn't matter. They were always arguing. I remember that. It was about something. It was all good, but just some of the memories I have it. And I'd be in the back and I'd sleep on the way to the hunt. They'd go in and enter the dog when it's time for draw. They'd come and wake me up and I'd go in and take over from there. And after the hunt was over, I'd jump in the back and sleep again. There you go. <laughs> so that was kind of hunted him for several years. I hunted that dog. Yeah. yeah. And had a lot, a lot, a lot of fun with him. But so he's really the one that, uh, that, uh, I honed a lot of handling skills with that dog over the next couple of years, but probably my, my number one dog that is still my yardstick today was was a red bone I had right soon after that I had him I already had him at that time as a pup, but he would uh he would run track, ran a lot of track, but would not tree. He started running track when he was six, seven months old, just would not tree. He'd take one to a tree and he'd just go on and find another track. Finally we gave up on him. He was about fourteen months old and we sold him for two hundred bucks to John Diffendaffer. So this was like in July. So later that fall, fast forward that fall at a club meeting in November, uh, our president, Steve Dunn, was telling me, he said, man, he said, I have hunted with this red dog. You need to go check him out. And I just kind of, oh, yeah, you know, didn't really ask a whole lot. And next club meeting, uh, the next month, he said the same thing. He said, I've hunted with this red dog a couple of times. I'm telling you, you need to go check him out. He's the real deal. Yeah. And I asked him more about it and who he's hunting with. And he said, well, this guy named John Diffendaffer. And I said, well, what's the dog's name? He said, and I, said, I asked him if his name is Tex, and he said, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so anyways, uh, I couldn't go hunting with him right away, but my brother Paul did. Yeah. And Paul went hunted with him one night, and he came back to me, and he said, man, you got to just go to the bank. You don't need to hunt with him. Just go to the bank, get some cash. And I said, well, how much do I get? Because he didn't want to sell him. He said, you just go get some cash. And he said to get a couple thousand dollars. Wow. So I, I remember... Uh, had to ended up just laying it out there on the picnic table, <laughs> you know, first begin with, he wasn't going to sell him, but that's kind of, so sold him for 200 and he, uh, six months later ended up buying him back and he was just, uh, he was, uh, you know, and asking him, he never, he was just a pleasure hunter. John didn't, John tied him up and didn't hunt him till the first night of kill season. And then, you know, he said, uh, he said, what do you mean? No, he treat fine. <laughs> Treat first time he took yeah. it, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I had a lot of fun with that dog. And as far as he was just overall balanced, and and I really got him to where one thing I one thing I learned with him uh, that still always stuck with me. He was a little bit older by the time we put him in his first hunt, and I felt like uh, he was one that was his mentality was was mature. He was matured mentally and everything. And it just made a difference. Just breezed through all the way to grand with him. Yeah. You know, and uh, did it in pretty short order. But he just, there wasn't really anything. He was just matured and just well-balanced. 
hey, he 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 lost cast too, you know, <clears throat> but uh, he sure won a, his good share fair or a fair share of them. And I I loved to compete against the best. Yeah. I I for some reason I just wanted that, you know. Hey, I wanted to hunt with the best dogs and just see how he stacked up with them. And I said he didn't win them all, but he won his fair share. But you, that was you guys won some bigger hunts with Tex, did you not? Yeah. Well, you know. We worked in the RV industry, and we used to always say you can't take any time off unless maybe for your own funeral, and that was about it. But so we didn't get to travel a whole lot, sure. you know, and that kind of, I wish I could have done that more with him, but I wasn't going to give him up to just anybody. But uh, Autumn Oaks was one we could do because it was close enough. And uh, 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 Redbone Days, we always made sure, and that was 4th of July, so we usually head off on that, you know, that week, so... Uh, but yeah, uh, probably Red or uh, Autumn Oaks. I ended up putting him in five years in a row, and four times he was a high scoring Redbone male. That's pretty good. It was pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good, you know, huh? twice he was the national grand night champion. Awesome. Of uh, of breed. That's awesome. Of breed. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, and as far as the club, you know, we had uh, the club got us a plaque, you know, for the for any national champion, grand night champions that from Autumn Oaks that you know from the club members and. He and that uh, Mike Puckett Shaker Dog are the only two two-time winners of that title there at the club. Very cool. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, yeah. But no, he's like I said, he's he's still my yardstick today. And then we hunted some other dogs, some decent dogs my, that my brother hunted a lot for. Uh, Herb Vaughn in Goshen was one guy that we got to know and hunted with a lot, and he had the kind of the same strain of red bones. He had uh, some of the fireball stuff. One older dog he had was old Banjo. My brother pretty much hunted him from from uh, nothing to where he was. But And then some others that uh, we had was Bozo that my brother hunted mostly of that I was supposed to get. He needed some money, and I paid him for this pup. And two days later, he's treeing house cats, and he doesn't give him to me, and he ended up <laughs> hanging on to me plus my money. That's a pretty good deal <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, but then another another dog that was off old banjo that's probably uh, you hear a lot more is a dog named B3 was also off of him. So okay. that's another one that had been sold as a bear dog, and he was running too much trash, they called it, in North Carolina. So, so we ended up getting him back, or Herb did, and then we hunted him for Herb. Paul did most of the hunting on him, but I put a winner or two on him as well, B3. But, yeah, and so so there's there's some of those. And, and then during that time, too, I was running some beagle stuff. Yeah. You know, so beagle stuff in the, uh, tried about two and a half years. I was running coonhounds and beagle trials religiously. He'll find it was too much. Yeah, I, I had tough. to get rid of the beagle part and just go back to coonhounds. Yeah. Yep. You talk, you've talked a lot about the Columbia City Club. Is that where you making the shift from just being a competition hunter to maybe being more on, on the other side of the table and yep. being an active or, or yep. being an officer or yep. being on the administrative side. It was actually Columbia city. There became an officer of the club. One of the things I did for uh, several years, a good number of years, actually, I don't remember how many years it was, but a long time was a corresponding officer. So that's, you know, you know, yeah. dealing with all the packets with UKC and all that kind of stuff, sending in the reports, you know, so, uh, you know, that's, I, I, I learned all that stuff and familiar with all that. And I think that, that helps us. And so, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that was the first one. Eventually I was a officer of the Red Bone Coonhound Association and I did the hunt director thing with them for a while. And I loved that part. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, eventually was vice president before I came up here. But what about you? Yeah. For me, you know, when I took this job, I was 29 years old. Yeah. Um, and right, I was 28 years old when I took the job. And, and before that I hadn't been a lot of, as far as being an officer of clubs, I never did that. I tried to be as active as I could in all the area clubs uh, one of those club, one of those smaller clubs in the area, I was a elected vice president officer of that club, but we didn't have very many events or very, very many duties at that time. Uh, so wasn't very active in that. Uh, I guess where I really got my chops at down there and where I got this passion for putting on events and being on that administrative side of it was the track down cancer event that yep. we did. Yep. I talked about, I've talked about that before on different podcasts and, and whatnot, but uh, every year we did that to raise money for the American Cancer Society. And I made a lot of uh, relationships with people in East Tennessee and North Alabama and North Georgia uh, with that event. We and, and and I think that's where I got just the, the love for, for putting on hunts. And I think that's really where my passion is in the mm -hmm. sport. You know, I love going hunting. Uh, I love going to hunts. Um, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the best handler, but I love going and putting on a hunt and, and, 
yeah, that's what led me here, really. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how this whole thing got started at UKC. I guess what uh, when you made the shift to get to UKC, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, you know. But going back to yours, I remember that was part of in your uh, in your resume a little bit. You talked about that, and and we reached out to uh, Alan Roberts, who yep. used to be a field rep, is again now, you know. But he had nothing but good things to say about you. And, and quite frankly, I didn't I didn't know no. you at all, you know. So it was kind of we kind of banked on that you know and it's turned out well so. well talking about making the move to ukc you know i was working i had a pretty good job at an automotive yeah. manufacturing uh, factory down there in tennessee and i was the manager in the uh, purchasing department and uh, made a good living down there but i couldn't travel very much it was a lot of working and uh, uh i was missing a lot of stuff it seemed like um and I, I saw the the job posting one night and decided to yeah. to kind of go after it and send in the the resume and everything and you know, the whole thing is just kind of a blur, you know, and ended up getting offered the job. And that was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. You know, yeah. uh, we, we had just had uh, my daughter. She was less than a year old at the time and uh, 10 hours away from all of my family. All of my family's there. My wife, that's not the case for her. She, yeah. Hers is spread out a little bit, but all of mine is there in East Tennessee. And I think the most scary thing is what you just said is, uh, you know, at that point, I was 28 years old. I had been in Coonhounds for right at 10 years. Um, and competition hunting, even less than that, and mm -hmm. relatively unknown um, outside of probably my general area, maybe mm -hmm. the black and tan breed a little bit. But uh, that was that was a scary part of accepting the job that I didn't really talk to anybody about. A lot of it was about the move, but yeah. but in my mind, I'm thinking, what's the perception of this? If are people going to accept me as being yeah. a manager here if they don't know who I am or if I don't have any well known you know accolades in in the sport really? And, uh, I can relate that was to a that. big, I was really nervous about that. Yep, I can relate to that. I was a little older when I started, you know, but I can definitely relate to that because, uh, and it kind of goes back to, uh, I think I, you and I've had this conversation, you got to earn your respect, sure. you know, and, and, uh, and a lot of that has to do with just doing things right. You're going to make mistakes and things like that, but everybody does, you know, but, uh, wanting to do things right. Uh, but yeah, you know, for me, uh, Todd Kellum first approached me at, uh, Redmond days in July at uh, LaGrange, Indiana is where it was. And when he mentioned it, I thought, I thought, oh, this is kind of odd that he, you know, but so I just kind of chuckled and it was like, man, that would be, I never thought about it, but I thought, dang, that would be kind of cool. But yeah. I had a good job making, making pretty good bank, you know, in the RV industry at the time, had just bought a house not long before that, you know, and, and kind of tied down actually. And, and then it was, it was, we just kind of left it at that. And then about a month or two later, he called me again and he was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, you know? And then I just kind of realized that, well, I guess this dude is serious, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I told him, I said, well, this is, it's, I would, I'm interested in it, you know, but I need some time to think about it. And, you know, for me, if I would commit to it, it would be, I'm looking at it for the long-term commitment, you know, if I do. And, uh, and I'm going to have to have some time to think about it. So, so I did and took several weeks or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, the one thing was just having, uh, a new home and everything else, you know, that was, it was tough. Yeah. So I can relate to, you know, kind of what you went through. It's a big decision Absolutely. when you got to move, you know, I was in Indiana, so I didn't have to move nearly as far, but, uh, but still, uh, uh, but so, so, yeah, you know, finally I did, uh, I did decide, you know what, I think I'm going to. I'm going to do it. And I, at the time I'm thinking this, how cool is this going to be? You're going to be uh, working in something you love to do. And all you do is work at UKC and just hunt. Right. Perfect. You know, but I know <laughs> I can't hunt at Autumn Oaks in the world anymore. Some of those things we talked about to begin with, but I thought even then, but, uh, as you now also now know it, it's doesn't quite work that way. And it's, it seems like kind of the opposite, uh, the way it's turned out, but no. Uh, so that was in November of 2004 is when I ended up coming up here or, or ended up starting. So it's been 19 years later now. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, but yeah, you know, going back to the competition thing, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you were ever a good handler. I, I always loved sports and I, I love that comp competing thing. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not boasting or anything, but I really, I loved handling dogs yeah. and still do. And it was, it was, and kind of an addiction to me, really. You know, if there was an event, it didn't matter what uh, what format, what it was, anything that you could get to, we went if we had something that was, you know, competitive anyways, you know. But uh, so not just that, but I think those experiences really help here too. Sure. I really, I really, you know, it's, uh, 
hey, there's a lot of people that want a whole lot more than I ever did, you know, but, uh, and there's a lot that, uh, you know, also want a good share, but, and I got to judge the world finals a couple of times, you know, in 2000 and 2003, I think. And, and, uh, uh, you know, so I loved all that stuff. Sure. And that's probably the biggest part that I miss is the competition handling dogs. Cause it was, it was an addiction to me, but it was, it's a lot of those things that, uh, uh, personal experiences that were imperative, uh, for me, for sure, you know, but, you know, and all that said, probably at the end of the day, I would say my one biggest accomplish or my biggest accomplishment that I still put at the top was that Laverne Miller award for some reason oh. that just, and, uh, honestly, uh, I think Mike Colder had a whole lot to do with that. Well, I think that's kind of a wrap on, on today's uh, episode. Uh, it's kind of out of the box for us to get on here and talk about <laughs> it, but now you guys may know us a little bit better, and uh, uh, we hope you enjoyed this kind of uh, episode, and uh, we hope you guys have a good one. Thank you for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss any of our new episodes or content. 